Welcome to the next episode of Nefarious New York. I'm Allison, and I'm here with Meredith. Hello. First, I just want to say that we met the most amazing people at the True Crime Podcast Festival. We did. We um, did. Hopefully some new fans. And we uh, we played Scrabble. We did. With Jamie and Kim. Yes, we did. Yes, so we want to give them a shout out as well. And um, just an overall good time. Yeah, it was Good fun. time, good people. A lot of fun. So, um, let's get into the next case. Okay, so it's going to be the murder of Alexandra Kogut. And Mara, I thought you could just tell us a bit about Alexandra before we get into the case. Okay, so I am going in blind again. Yes. So I'm just going to do a little bit of background on the victim, but I don't really know anything more than this. So Alexandra was born January 19th, 1994 in New Hartford, New York, which is about four hours north of New York City. She was a 2012 graduate of New Hartford High School, where she was a varsity swimmer. Alexandra was also the recipient of the Citizenship Award. She was known as Kind and Gentle. She attended SUNY Brockport, which is the State University of New York. Her family said she lived her life according to the quote by Ida Scott Taylor, Do not look back and grieve over the past, for it is gone, and do not be troubled about the future, for it has not yet come. Live in the present and make it so beautiful that it will be worth remembering. I guess this is a kind of foreshadowing. Alexandra Koga, 18 years old, and Clayton Whittemore, 21 years old, had been dating for about a year and a half. So Clayton lived in their hometown of New Hartford and was a promising hockey star during high school. He was featured as an athlete of the week by the local TV station in 2010. He attended a prep school in Florida where he played hockey. So he lived with a host family. In 2012, he was attending Utica College. So just before Alexandra was set to leave for her freshman year of college on August 23rd, Alexandra favorited a tweet by Clayton that read, You might be leaving physically, but you will still be right here in my heart. So a little over a month later, on September 29, 2012, Alexandra was looking forward to a visit from Clayton. These are the tweets between them leading up to the visit. So I have no idea what's going to come of this, but so I'm just kind of going with the tweets mm -hmm. here. It looks like Clayton tweeted, Saturday can't come soon enough. Alexandra says, so excited for Clayton to come to Brockport Saturday and bring me half moons, which are black and white cookies. Yes. Clayton says back, not if I eat them all first, yum. Okay, and Alexandra says, you better not eat my half moons or tomato pie. So just kind of regular cutesy tweets to be young and in love again. I know, right? Uh -huh. Okay, so where's this going? On September 29th, 2012, Alexandra's roommate, her dorm roommate, was staying with a friend that night to give the couple some privacy. So Alexandra had a swim team meeting that ran late. Clayton arrived before the meeting ended, and Alexandra sent him a message that the meeting was running late and said, please don't kill me, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. And Clayton responded, no worries. Later that night, Alexandra and Clayton went out to dinner, then a party. They had both been drinking. After a while, they began to argue. Okay. It's like normal. Normal. Drinking. So the State University of New York, or the SUNY police, had stopped Clayton and Alexandra on campus around midnight 
and issued Clayton a ticket for an open container violation. Okay. So he had like an open beer can. Okay. He later stated that that made him mad. After he was issued the ticket for the open container, he crossed the street and began walking on the opposite side of the street as Alexandra, and that's how they proceeded to her dorm. Okay. Separate. Maybe indicative of some fight or turmoil or he just wanted to cool off or whatever. Right. Makes sense. So at 12.13 a.m., Alexandra tweeted, should have known. Okay. Then Alexandra's key card was used to open the doors of her dorm at 12.17 a.m. Alexandra appeared intoxicated and they appeared to be fighting when they entered the building. That's according to the person who had to sign him in as a guest. Okay. Um, Alexandra texted a friend around 12.19 a.m. saying, Clay and I are in a fight. Ha ha ha. I don't think we're going back out. So a neighbor in her dorm went to bed around 1 a.m. And before she fell asleep, she heard a thudding noise, a series of booms from somewhere in the building. Shortly after this, Clayton drove to a service station and called his mother and told her that he had done something very bad. Um, he said he did something that's worse than his father ever could have done. He then called his father and told him that he had killed someone. What? Clayton said to his father, congratulations, now I'm as bad as you. Both his mother and father called 911. Now during this, Alexandra's mother had just landed at the airport on an out-of-town trip at around 2 a.m. She couldn't get in touch with her daughter, but was able to reach Clayton around 2.30 a.m. And he said that Alexandra was sleeping. She just knew, like mother's intuition, she knew something was right. wrong. So was this before or after, do we know, he called his mother? This is probably before he called his mother. Okay. And she called campus police to perform a welfare check. When they showed up and opened the door of Alexandra's dorm room, they found a woman's body at around 2.40 a.m. At first, the police did not know who the body was. The girl they found in Alexandra's dorm room was unrecognizable what? and seemed to have brown hair, not Alexandra's blonde hair. The woman was found clad in a green and gold Brockport t-shirt and blue checkered shorts, splayed unnaturally face down on a purple comforter in the middle of the floor, her hair matted with blood. There were bloody fingerprints, a broken pencil, and a puncture wound in the woman's lower back, a dented Old Spice can, a broken and bloody clothes iron, Jesus and a September 28th notation on a dry erase calendar in schoolgirl script that read, Clayton comes. At this point, police have a theory that Clayton murdered Alexandra's roommate and fled with Alexandra against her will. Clayton's mother called 911 again to tell them that Clayton had now called his sister and said that Alexandra stopped breathing. So they're basically piecing it together because no one really knows who the body is. They think they it's be, a roommate at this point? They think it's her roommate <clears throat> okay. and they think him and Alexandra have either fled or he took her against her will. Right. So finally now, what they're all waiting for, Clayton calls 911. He told the operator that he deserved to die for what he did. But he also believed that his father needed to accept responsibility for the alleged abuse. I'm turning myself in for what I did. That man who called you, meaning his father, is the man who should turn himself in. Before Clayton was taken into police custody, he sent the Kogut family and Alexandra a text. Sorry to the family and you. Nothing will ever fix or undo what I did. I became my father, but worse. In his police interrogation... Clayton recounted the violence that he had witnessed and experienced his entire life. I was going to say, are, are we going to get to the, 
what the father did. Yeah. So he said he watched his father beat his brother with a baseball bat, throw his mother to the ground and beat her, break his sister's nose, and his father would lock him and his brother outside in the cold. He would also shove a remote control in their mouths if they got fingerprints on his car. After Clayton's arrest, a former sports coach reported that Clayton and his brother would be so afraid of their father's reaction to a bad sports performance that Scott Whittemore, Clayton's father, was banned from attending games. And nobody reported this guy? I guess not. So now we're at the police interrogation. So they've gone and picked him up. They're figuring out that it's Alexandra in the room now because he's confessed. But she has brown hair. She colored her hair. I guess that came out after that she had just colored her hair brown. Okay. So no one was prepared for the brown hair. Okay. So the police interrogation, uh, the police ask him, what were you guys fighting over? And Clayton says, she was kind of talking to me a little negatively. And the police said, what do you think was different about tonight? And he says, we fought before. I don't know. She started slapping at me and stuff. I was like, you're telling me not to hit you and not to yell at you, but that's what you're doing to me. She's pushed me before. Tonight, she started pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. She started pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. She kept doing it. And bothering me. I mean, it wasn't that cool. I got it. He just don't like it. He just don't like it. He just don't like it. He stated that he just started punching her and he just snapped. That he just kept hitting her over and over with his fists. Then he said her breathing started to sound bad, like there was blood or something blocking her breathing. And he says which I don't mean to laugh at all, at all, but I think this is ridiculous. He actually uh, uh, equates her to, like, an animal that's suffering. Like, really, really bad from there. Yeah, but you could, like, hear, you know, like, you're sucking in, like, wind, you know? Right. I thought she was dying. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I thought, you know, like, watch me animal suffering. Okay. You know, I'm going to you up. I'm not going to watch. I'm going to sit there. Yeah, I just want to watch. So he says, I didn't want the girl I love to suffer, so I started beating her over the head with a clothing iron until the noise stopped. Oh my god, this is disturbing. He said he wasn't even drunk, he just snapped. Now just like a disclaimer here, some reports say a curling iron, but the police reports say a clothing iron. So I'm going to just not say curling iron. I'm going to say clothing iron. So his he has an affirmative defense. So his defense is extreme emotional disturbance. Basically, they're saying that he snapped as a result of chi- a childhood trauma. Let me that, guess. He, that he snapped as a result of a childhood of vicious abuse at the hands of his father. So the defense asked the jury not to acquit him, but rather to convict him of manslaughter, a charge that carries a lighter sentence. Mm-hmm. Which is done in many cases. Yeah. But, but you could be out... It's a much so say he's twenty two when he's sentenced. He's out at thirty seven. He's got right. his whole life ahead of him, and she doesn't. But go ahead. Right. Uh, the defense argued that Alexandra's pushing of him triggered an inner rage that had built up over the years. Once Clayton realized she was struggling to breathe after he hit her several times, he got scared and put her out of her misery. In quotes, by beating her with a clothing iron. The defense also put Clayton's sister on the stand. She testified that she, Clayton, and their brother, Kurt, were frequently beaten and verbally abused by their father from the time they were small until their parents divorced in the late 2000s. Which, and I don't, I mean, I'm not doubting that. Right. I get that it happened, but... If you don't get help, 
Right. Well, because when you, and this is what pisses me off a lot, when you screw up a kid, that kid is now going to screw somebody else, you screw somebody else's life up Mm -hmm. if they don't get help. And if you allow that stuff to happen, it's just, it's become somebody else's problem down the line. At what point do you stop feeling bad for them and stop seeing them, them as a victim? Because now... They're, they're the abuser, they're the, they're the or, abuser the, right. or, or the predator. Uh, their mother worked days while their father worked nights. And she said that we would all hope he wouldn't be the one getting us ready for school because of his bad temper. She said their father would kick and hit them for the smallest things and would make them hit and kick each other while he watched. He would abuse them with hockey sticks, baseballs, bats, belts, and other household objects. For failing to perform well athletically... Their father would throw the boys against walls, punch, or kick them. On one occasion, she said, their father broke her brother Kurt's arm with a baseball bat, and on another occasion, he broke her nose. She said that all the kids were terrorized into not telling anyone about the abuse, because that if we left, he would hunt us down and kill us, and he would find my mom's parents and kill them too. That, it makes complete sense. Did you ever read A Child Called It? Oh my God! Yes, it was the David best. Peltzer. I mean, it wasn't the uh, yes. It was, I mean, it was. This is like this is a child going through this, and the fear, and you're and you're reading it, and you're like, I think that you know he went to school every day, and I think that there were people that suspected things. When you're a kid, you you. Well, that's you, when you're learning like the foundations of trust and how yeah. your people are supposed to be treated and all of that. And if you're being, I mean, for him, for Clayton, the person that he's supposed to go to when he's being abused is the person abusing him. So I'm not saying that right. that no, excuses you don't, anything. You don't condone the behavior and you can't use it as an excuse. But, but you can understand it. You can understand. This is a perfect example of, oh, I totally get why he, he right. did that. Why or he why ended he up became, the way he did. Exactly. It's not such a puzzle. Right. But, uh, go on. Okay. Well, the prosecution saw things a bit differently. Um, They believed that Clayton was angry and under the influence of alcohol and not acting under extreme emotional distress when he hit her. But once he realized she was dying, that extremely emotional situation caused him to lose control. I I don't buy that. There's a lot of people that get violent and angry when they get drunk, but there's got to be something that Mm -hmm. sets you off. Come on, put two... When you... Two plus two equals four. Last time I checked, I failed math, so go ahead. The prosecution brought an ex-girlfriend to the stand to testify about a scary fight she had with Clayton. She said they were just arguing in the parking lot and he started to choke her and he was like choking her for a while and she was like, he's not, you know, this is it. He's not going to let go. But then he did. Thankfully, he stopped and she kind of just like put it out of her head and continued to date him. When he was living with that host family in Florida... There were other hockey kids living with that family as well. And one of them said they had been drinking and Clayton grabbed a knife and like held it over his head and started walking towards him. And then the host mother came in and was like, Clayton, what are you doing? And like took the knife from him. So he's got a little bit of a history of. Maybe the alcohol gives him the, I don't want to say courage. That's the wrong word. But obviously the alcohol clicks a button within him because he's. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm just saying it could he could be repressing things. He's and definitely. then he's dr- drinking and it comes out. The prosecution put an inmate on the stand that had shared a cell with Clayton. 
He said they were talking in jail and Clayton focused on a Bible verse, Ephesians 5.11. The quote is, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And this prompted Clayton to explain to him how he and Alexandra were shoving each other during an argument about them cheating on each other. He says he knocked her out, and as she lay unconscious on her dorm room floor, he sat on the bed to contemplate everything. Clayton figured that Alexandra would go on with her life away at college, and he would be embarrassed to return to their New Hartford hometown with a broken relationship. And that's when he grabbed the clothing iron and beat her to death. Oh, God. So that's what the inmate is saying, but you know, I'm sure he got something out of that testimony. Also, there were um, angry voicemails that Clayton left for Alexandra, like at least 30 that they had, but they weren't admitted. But um, this is one. Now, they took out all the expletives, so okay. all the bad words are out. But... All right. This was when? Before Before, that just, in their just, relationship. just in their relationship. I was going to say, yeah. it seems like they have a nice relationship so far. It se- I mean, that's what it seemed like. But there are about 30 of these voicemails that she saved. So she probably wanted to keep them for some reason. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of them without the bad words in it. It said, um, I'll kill you next time I see you. You are a slut and a skank, so don't call me. I'm sick of you. Sometimes people say in anger, right. you know, I, I don't necessarily know if you say I'm going to kill you. But if I've got 30 that are like that or worse, and we're talking about like, Words are in there, so it's probably like, I'll effing kill you next time I effing see you, you're a slut and a skank, you, you know? God. It's probably much worse than my monotone reading of it. I'm, I'm sure, yes. Some messages are not in the, it, it's the other behavior that is. It's the other behavior, but it's everything 30 mixed. of those messages, 30, I feel yes. like that's some form, form of psychological abuse or emotional abuse or something, to leave messages like that right. repeatedly. Right, some form of psychological damage. So anyway, if the jury believes Clayton is suffering from extreme emotional disturbance linked to his childhood abuse, then they would have to find him guilty of manslaughter instead of murder. So that lesser charge would carry no more than 25 years in prison instead of the 25 years to life for second degree murder. So it just depends what they believe. They deliberated for a few hours and they came back and found him guilty of second degree murder. So this stiffer sentence. Okay. At the sentencing, Alexandra's mom said to Clayton, which, I mean, her overall message to him is amazing. I don't know how she did it, but uh, she starts out a little rough. Um, Alex will not graduate college. We will not see her marry. She will never have children. You have robbed us of so much. She also spoke of her efforts to force Scott Whittemore to take responsibility for what he'd done to his children. She would tie purple ribbons on the trees of his streets where he lived in memory of Alexandra. She would deliver every newspaper article about her daughter's killing to his doorstep. She'd stop by his house and ring the doorbell in hopes to getting him to come outside to talk to her. And she would tell him to go to the police and turn himself in for abusing his kids. She said she did this for Clayton in an attempt to stand up for him, something nobody else in his life had ever done. I have the chills right now. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I mean, not crazy. That's awesome that she was able to do that. What a That's amazing to me. You look like you're tearing up. I am. That's amazing to me. And I don't want to say good for her, but I kind of applaud her for that. So several minutes before he learned his fate at the sentencing, Clayton apologized to the Kogut family. He said, I never intended any of this. 
I think about it every day and will spend the rest of my life trying to make up for it. In her remarks, Alexandra's mother also asked Clayton to answer two questions for her. What was the exact time her daughter died? And what happened to her daughter's eyeglasses? And he didn't know the answer to either one of those. In the end, he was sentenced to 25 years to life. Her friends started up the Purple Pinky Charitable Foundation, which um, they all just started painting their pinky nails mm. purple because yeah. that was her favorite color and that's a domestic violence color. Mm -hmm. So they would all do that. Her parents did start up the Alexandra G. Kogut Memorial Fund. So maybe they kind of joined forces. Merged. Yeah. And that was created in her honor to support community organizations that share her passion and kindness. Grants are made in her name, allowing her spirit to live on perpetually. Uh, we have covered research on children who were exposed to violence mm -hmm. and sometimes witnessing it and experiencing it can trigger the same effects. Right. Research does show that younger and older that young and older adults who are abused as children are at greater risk of overreacting with violence, hostility, and anger. Right, as you would expect. As you would expect. While past abuse does not predict that every victim will become violent in later life, traumatic reminders of that abuse, such as stressful stressful argument, images, or physical contact, might trigger the over the top violent reactions right witnessing domestic violence as a child you learn that that behavior is the appropriate response to stress or conflict when obviously right. it's not you're probably consciously not saying oh well that's the right way oh, no, of course i not. think you just the learned behavior becomes almost like yeah. a natural response like when you see my kids they all have bits of my good and bad personality and that's just sure. it's not I didn't like sit them down and teach them that's how to behave no, they just observed me and doing absorbed. correct or incorrectly right. things and they start doing it right and I also saw that children that were abused run a higher risk of being the victim of, of abuse when they're adults right which obviously makes sense there too mm -hmm. the other thing that I read is nearly half, so actually 43% of dating college women report experiencing violent and abusive dating behaviors. I do have to say I've, I've witnessed this. Her boyfriend was beating her. She was a very, very good friend of mine. I knew the guy, and this guy had a very troubled past. Right. The study also further had said that girls and young women between the ages of 16 and 24 experience the highest rate of intimate partner violence almost triple the national average right it's, i that makes sense to me it does because make sense to me because you're immature you're you're you know what and especially if you if your mind is not fully developed yet mm -hmm. and you're not a very i'm trying to word this right i feel if, like for me so let's say for me like not to get too personal into yeah. anything so let's say I grew up without my dad around much. My mom was working. I didn't have really anyone to kind of guide me much mm -hmm. or any like no like warm and fuzzy, snuggly, lovey stuff. So if I got in a relationship, you know, with a, other bumps along the adolescent road as well. Right. And then say I get in a relationship, I'm just happy to be in a relationship where somebody like 
is giving me attention. That's and and I have to agree with you there. And I would have about as well. me. Oh, no, I was like about no, me. No, no, no. But I was raised the opposite. So I had my mother and father. My dad was so good that I thought in my head, all men are good. But I did not have a very robust self-esteem. And so I didn't have a lot of long-term relationships. So I feel like you're still becoming who you are. Absolutely. And you, I feel like you put up with not only that and with an intimate person, but even with your friends, you put up with more shit at that age. Where this, right. this age, I'm like, yeah, no, bye. Yeah. This, th- for this case, I, I actually feel bad for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, probably except for the father. Um, and for Alexandra, who knows what she was feeling. Maybe she wanted to get away but couldn't. Maybe she felt bad. A couple of her friends said that she was like, because he was a bit older, and he was like this big like stud hockey player. She I... was like, why would he want to be with me? So she felt like almost honored that he chose her to right. date. So she had that feeling of unworthiness. Is that the right word? Uh, Yeah. She wasn't. uh, Maybe she felt like she wasn't worthy. And And so she maybe took a bit more of his abuse or obviously no abuse is okay. No. Okay. So that was this week's. If you can leave us five stars, we actually, I think, have like 26 five-star ratings. And a couple of great reviews. Oh, something that I should cover is our intro music by a band called Awaken. And I know the singer very well. Mm, He's my husband. Mm. (laughs) And uh, that intro is part of one of his songs on his new CD. So it's great because we don't have to pay for it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But um, if you are interested in checking out more of his music, send us a message as well. Yeah, or just look up what Awaken... You don't know. She doesn't know the website. Glenn. Glenn, she doesn't know your your website info. Oh, my God. Just Google Awaken. Oh, put it up, Al. Would you put a link to the webpage? Up, I'll link it somehow. <laughs> I love you, hon. Sorry. You want me to sing it out? Don't you always? Nefarious New York. I went lower that time. That was good. Nefarious New York.